y'all, and welcome to Ain't No Such Thing. I'm Amanda Rachels, and I'm here with the writer, Kevin Laporte. Good evening. This is our second roundtable discussion episode, but we are officially calling it On the Porch Swing. So, why did we decide to call it On the Porch Swing? Well, that's... It's a southern place of gathering. I know some of my earliest memories... Um, we're spent with family on the porch, just chatting, talking. It's a nice place to be. Telling stories. Telling stories, of course. So that's what we're going to call our commentary podcast going forward. Uh, our goal is to release it on Thursdays. We'll be a day late this week where we're still getting our podcasting technical feed underneath us. We will get there. We're looking at setting a hard schedule next week. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the cast. I'm good at the art. Not so much with the podcasting, but we're getting there. It's coming along fine. I think we'll be on the schedule we want to be on next week. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about our second story, The Flood. And The Flood is a prequel of sorts to our last story, The Baptist. And it's available right now on all your finer podcasting outlets, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Intune, Google, and so forth. Man, there's that many? There's a lot. There's a lot more than that. Uh, our host is buzzsprout.com, but it's available on all of those outlets. Well, we've been working hard getting the content together this last week for the flood. I just did a piece of artwork night before last that was done on camera and that's going to go with our video episode uh, but the really cool thing is that we're listing these original pieces on eBay to give everybody a chance to to own them these one-of-a-kind unique monsters that represent each of these stories and the first one is a depiction she made of the the Baptist the underwater version if you've uh, listened to that story already it's a real monster. And the second one is from the flood. Uh, that one's going to launch tomorrow and go five days through next Wednesday. I think he's scarier in his mortal form. It's definitely a scarier picture. It's a, it's a more visceral picture. Uh, they're both really, really gorgeous pieces of art, though. encourage everybody to check those out. Links to these auctions will be in the show notes for each associated podcast. And then you can watch Amanda actually create them in the videos that she's creating and launching. Uh, the full, the one for the flood launches tomorrow. Right. I have a fascination with drawing really ugly teeth and mouths. <laughs> so and it's a good opportunity because that's about all you can see of this guy besides with the one eye. Pretty much. Peeking through a hole in that uh, leather Bible cover. Yikes. Another thing we want to announce that we want to get clear to everybody since we're kind of getting to the point of having a regular schedule is our release schedule every week. We're looking at multiple launches each week. Starting on Mondays, we're going to launch our audio podcast. That's the story that we're putting out there. We're trying to do one a week. So far, we've put out The Baptist and The Flood. And then this coming Monday, we're going to drop The Golden Arm. That's one of my favorites. The, I've been so excited for this one. The classic folktale handed down from... All over the place. One of the more famous is uh, from Mark Twain. He included it in his storytelling book. But we put our own spin on it. Uh, Amanda's going to record it. And it'll be available 
podcast venues everywhere starting Monday. All right. I hope to hear what you guys think about that one. We're looking to do some more classic tales too, but of course with our twisted spin that Kevin's so good at. I think you'll enjoy this one. It was a lot of fun. It is a very subversive take on the golden arm, but the, the critical elements are there. That's one of the things we're trying to do every time we do one of these classic stories is to make sure that the essential elements of those stories are there. So it feels like you're hearing the same old story, but in a whole new dress. Well, they're really timeless and timeless as in they can be anywhere. Well, it was a lot of fun to write. I'm excited to see what people think of it. And so on that same day, Amanda will put up an auction for the, the piece of art that goes with that story. And that'll run uh, one week each week when we drop a story She'll put up that piece of art that goes with it. Then on Wednesday, we'll do on the porch swing. We're, we're dropping it on Friday this week, but going forward, it will drop on Wednesdays where we'll talk about the Golden Arm next week, uh, talk about announcements, talk about developments with the project, with the podcast, with the videos, so forth. And then on Thursday, the video version of the Golden Arm will drop. And we'll do those videos every week for every story. And those will include video of Amanda actually drawing the artwork, uh, creating some other images for the stories, and some, some visuals that go along with the, the themes of the stories that we're working with as well. Y'all going to keep me busy. Those will be on YouTube and Facebook, as well as uh, our personal Facebook accounts for those of you that are friends with us on Facebook. It's hard to keep all these social media outlets in line, but... We'll, we'll actually start listing all of them in the show notes here, too, to make it a little easier to find everybody. We just want you to have maximum access. Everybody has different situations with what they can get to, audio and, and video-wise. And so we're putting them out there in the most accessible places uh, so that you can see it, hear it, however you want to experience it. All right. I think that's enough housekeeping. Let's talk about the flood. All right. Hey guys, uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so bear with me, it's Jess, um, but wanted to review a few questions this week and talk a little bit about the flood. So let's just kind of dive in. Um, so we know that this is a prequel to the previous ep episode of The Baptist, and it was quite revealing, <laughs> to say the least. So we first meet Melody, and I love the musical theme, by the way. Um, what made you center around music? Um. Before I answer that, let me mention one thing we should have mentioned beforehand. Spoiler alert. Going forward, <laughs> everything that we talk about is a spoiler. If Good you point. haven't listened Good to point. The Flood, Good point. go back and listen to episode three, The Flood. And then come back. Dramatic pause. Now I'll answer the question about the music. <laughs> uh, I, I think the thing with the music is just ingrained in my DNA. My mom is the world's biggest Elvis fan. Uh, it may date me to say this, but I actually saw Elvis in concert. In 1977, his last concert tour. I'm intensely jealous of that. Me too. <laughs> I, I do remember it. I was only six years old, but I, I do absolutely remember seeing Elvis. The music is ingrained in my brain and uh, in my musical taste to this very day. So it was not uh, much of a stretch for me to pull Elvis into the story that was set in 1961. So when I was doing a little research on what music was available because I knew I wanted to tie this character melody to her musical taste. 
that grounds a character. It's something we can all relate to, enjoying music. And I saw that King Creole, the soundtrack to King Creole, had come out in 1958, and it included one of my top three Elvis songs, Trouble. Thanks to Glenn Danzig for covering that <laughs> over the years. <laughs> it was really all I could do not to sing it in the recording. And I'm sure there's a version of it left on my computer where I did. I don't think that was such a bad idea to, to sing it in the recording. I like how it turned out, but that might be something to think about for future episodes. Because music will be a part of what I write. It's just, even when I write comics, and music is an indelible part of it. But the opportunity to give her an Elvis album and and refer back to how Elvis was vilified in those days and have reactions from her father and other people by insinuation as the story moves along. It was, it was too tempting to pass up. And then the other song that we reference is little sister, my favorite, which actually came <laughs> out the summer of 1961 when the mm-hmm. story takes place. And it's an amazing song, just a, a really good rocker from Elvis. Uh, as I think I pointed out in the story, it's a, a cautionary tale, but it's really an invitation to sin. It's like, <laughs> don't do what your big sister done, but you know, maybe you should. <laughs> it won't hurt my feelings if you do what you did, big sister done. Uh, the, the fact that she discovers that, that song and enjoys it, and that's when the bad thing happens is a result of karma, is a result of divine intervention because she sinned. How is she going to see that? Is the person who kidnapped her kidnapping her in part because of her musical sins, so to speak? So it, it, it plays a lot on the story I wanted to tell. It tells a lot about Melody. And it gave me a chance to talk about Elvis, which I'll always take that opportunity. Rock and roll is the devil. <laughs> the eighth deadly sin, as we wrote in the story. <laughs> So as we kind of get introduced to Melody, get to know her a little bit, we kind of learn a lot about her upbringing. And I feel like a heavy Pentecostal feel going on. Did you guys have to research this? Did you experience it? Um, I mean, it was almost like a cult feeling. I know Amanda was raised Catholic. Uh, I was definitely raised heavy Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, dancing in the aisles. No snake handling, but... All those other things, I definitely witnessed those things as I was growing up. And I think the treatment of the church and the congregation and, and the flood is a pretty mild depiction of what's going on. And I never had any crazy bad experiences with people at my church. They were all very nice people, uh, wholesome folks that believed what they believed and lived it for the most part as far as I could tell. But there's a creep factor to some of the rituals that you go through there. Hearing people speak in tongues is a singular experience, and especially when you know what that is. And there's nothing in the story about speaking in tongues, but one day there will be that in a story, I can promise you, because it is a bizarre, bizarre thing to, to behold. And, and like in the story where there's a beat of music and everybody immediately knows to go into the position or start singing, or um, the ritual is so ingrained. Um, I am not practicing, of course, but I remember so much. And, and I, it's, well, it's an involuntary response in some cases. And, and I was trying to communicate that in the way it was written. I'm glad that came across. That not only 
when you do what you do based on the music. We're going right back to music again. The hymns that were in there, how great they are. I could sing that song front to back right now. There's a really great Elvis version, by the way, that I, I did not reference in the story. That's really good. Uh, but that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear it in my head as an organ in a funeral parlor. It's kind of <laughs> terrible right. to me. And just that way that everybody knows where they're supposed to sit and where they should not sit in church. That's just another part of that programming that we're talking about. And there's a, a sinister aspect to it because people get really angry about that. They're very ter- territorial about that. And I wanted that to come across in the story that Mama knew in the new church. You wait till everybody else stakes out their territory. And then you sit there and if somebody was absent, you might still be sitting in somebody's seat. And you got to be real careful about those things politically. That can be disastrous when you're starting to make new connections at the new. Don't you dare sit in the first three rows. Y'all know better. Y'all know better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do. You better. All right. So uh, to tie into that, though, we don't necessarily see a cult factor in the story. Did anything like that kind of inspire you to create the story? I think Amanda's more of a, a cult follower, not a cult <laughs> worshiper, but a follower of cult stories. How's that? Explain than, than myself. I, <laughs> I for real don't want nothing to do with it, but it's a know thine enemy type of mentality that I have. So I am totally fascinated by by cults. The creepier, the better. Well, um, anytime you get a story of people who will do anything in the name of blind faith, no matter how misguided... It's fascinating. It just we see that a lot in movies, and a lot of these cult stories have been turned into movies. I'm surprised the Heaven's Gate cult has never been turned into a movie, at least not to my knowledge. What's Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gate was. I guess you were six years old when this <laughs> happened. I remember that. Then it was in 1997. <laughs> these 39 people were found dead in a house in San Francisco, not San Francisco, near San Diego. San Diego, correct. And they ritualistically suicided in order to board a spaceship on that was actually the Hale-Bopp Comet as it passed over yeah. Earth. The spaceship was hiding in the Hale-Bopp Comet. Oh, is that what it was? And it they was had hiding? to die in order to board it. Yeah. Wow. That's a high price to pay. <laughs> had pudding and vodka and barbiturates and... Yikes. Well, who knows? Maybe they're in outer space living it up and we're all, we're all the idiots. But <laughs> I'm just guessing they sadly killed themselves for well, you know, a bunch of them. A bad sci-fi show. Uh, was it nine or ten of them? They voluntarily were castrated. Um, Good deal. And, uh, you know, they, they were the type that they all wore jumpsuits and had that kind of creepy group think mentality. Um, they're, they're leaders. They went by um, D and Doe. I think we Marshall <laughs> Applewhite was a uh, doe. Yeah, I remember his name. Him. And I think the the uh, the mother of the the group she died of cancer. I think years before the uh, the suicide took place. But um, that's strange. I mean, when you hear things like that, that they refer to each other as D and Doe, it's like, are they just seeing how far they can get away with this bull? Are they just seeing what they can put out there that people will actually buy? And they're like, hey, we've made it this far. Let's just eat the pudding and the barbiturates and say bye-bye because it didn't get any better than this, guys. We've, <laughs> we've reached the mountaintop of delusion. How are y'all going to ruin pudding? With barbiturates. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Shame on y'all. But yeah, there's the 
cult behavior is fascinating. Uh, and I'm not trying to insinuate that cults and churches are the same thing. There are subtle differences, I suppose, just in terms of social acceptance and social endorsement. However, the, the behavior of the killer in the flood is definitely cult-like behavior. Life has to be sacrificed to achieve ascension of some sort. And he does it through the very mainstream religious ritual of baptism, just in the worst, most horrible ways you can imagine. All right, so we have to talk about Brother Teddy. Good gracious. Uh, you know, I loved how you kind of peppered in. You were like, oh, here's a little bit about him. And then back to Melody. Here's a little bit and back to Melody. And then, boom, he's there. And there's waves of salvation and dancing. Y'all, he creeped me out. So how exactly did he come to fruition? He's a preacher. He sounds like a preacher. His cadence is the cadence of a preacher. He's using scripture to control the situation, to tell you what he's doing, to justify what he's doing. Uh, he's blessing floodwaters that's going to murder all of these teenagers in this old church because in his mind, it baptizes them and relieves them of the sins that he knows they perpetrated and didn't have a chance to absolve them of before he's taken to prison for kidnapping all their friends before. So this is kind of it taken to the nth degree, but what inspired Brother Teddy is just regular old preachers. He's just like them in terms of his behavior. He's just gone these extra several steps beyond that to condemn the behavior that's condemned in the Bible. So was there anything more to his crime of uh, kidnapping and baptizing against their will? No, well, he did murder them. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> I, that was what I that was so what I got the, out of it. The three kids on the cross as he drowns them and then bathes in the fluids. Oh that, no 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 while no! dancing, the ones before that no. he went to prison for. Okay, no. I, I wasn't sure. No, those were kidnapping charges. He was drugging them, kidnapping them, and baptizing them at this church. And then putting them back in their beds and one of them or more of them woke up during the experience and he got taken to jail. How he got out of jail is not to be explained. Uh, I didn't feel it was necessary to explain it, but he's obviously escaped. And now he's out here doing something infinitely worse than what he did before. Crazy as hell. Yeah. Because this is a singular opportunity. This entire town is going to be flooded so he can baptize everybody all at one time. It's like a hurricane party. Okay. <laughs> Not my hurricane party. <laughs> did you know our brother, Teddy? I did not. Um, I pulled that name from randomness. <laughs> I was just, and that's the way I often come up with names for characters. I, I don't have a plan for them because I think if you try too hard to make them mean something, it can be too on the nose, too silly. But Teddy seemed like a harmless name. I grew up in a church he where... He harmless. No, he's not harmless, but I wanted it to feel harmless because the people that you go to church with usually are harmless, nice people. This guy started off that way. He had good intentions in his own mind, and he might still. He just lost it. He's just cracked. Um, Some of them snap. I remember, and this is a matter of public record, so I don't mind saying it, but I remember being in church as a child, and we got our church bulletins where there was a drawing of a man murdering an abortion doctor with a woman in the stirrups in the church bulletin saying justifiable homicide. That was and in the news all around here. That was our priest. Mm -hmm. And uh, that terrified me um, that 
any belief would drive you to kill somebody. You know, you can't come back from that. And, uh, yeah, that was, ugh, that traumatic. Well, and Brother Teddy's beliefs are so strong, and the act that he perpetrated on all these teenagers is so reprehensible. It desecrated this entire site, and that's what leads to him becoming the monster that we encounter, or that Floyd encounters worse than we do as the, as the listener slash reader in The Baptist. And there is a direct line there between those two characters. That is Brother Teddy. But suddenly he doesn't. He's not as nice anymore. He's uh, not as charismatic. He's just he ain't dancing now. And in some sort of way, I suppose he's more of a force of nature, uh, super nature, I suppose, rather than of any real religious belief at that point. I guess it takes something pretty extreme to turn the congregation against someone preaching the word. <laughs> Maybe so. Hey, it did with, with ours. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> was... Killing all the what? teenagers from a single town will probably get a response out of somebody. Yep. And he ultimately died in the process as well. Or became transformed. Oh. Became part of the lake. You know, the, the power of the loss of the pain of the destruction of these people that he perpetrated stayed there in this place. That's what Floyd sees when he in the Baptist when he goes down there. That's what's left. The bodies; those are the bodies. The skeletons; those are the skeletons of those kids from the from the flood. I just worry: can he get out? We'll find out. Oh, jeez! So that's a lot to absorb, a lot to talk about from this week's story, the flood. Now Amanda's going to take you through a brief preview of the golden arm. That drops on our podcast Monday, November 25th. Can't wait. The night sky was a cobalt Monet landscape framed in dirt. From within the grave, Jove Massinger traced the textured cloud swirls with tired, upturned eyes, sighed heavy to get his breath. His tilted foot tested the give of the loose earth beneath and stepped from the excavator bucket to that firm spot beyond the peaking coffin lid. Grave robbers in the movies were fools, exhuming their corpses by hand with shovels and pickaxes. It was job enough with the heavy machinery like borrowed from the cemetery garage. Putting his own fleshy arms to the task? (laughs) Well, Jove figured that proposition would take the whole night and exhaust his human energies just a third of the way through at that. He clapped the excavator, arm open-palmed, thanking it as a buddy who helped him move into a new place. That's what technology was for, right? To compensate for mortal shortcomings. To accomplish man's trials faster, more accurately, and at higher quality. Within that gaudy lavender and chrome casket, before the tips of his toes, lay the most delicate touch, the surest grip of any he ever enjoyed. Her forefinger beckoned to him right through the fiberglass and the wood, through the panhandle clay and the roots that he scraped off of her in the dark, through the blended weeks since she left him to burrow into oblivion, and he would take her back, and on that night. 
A spade, pulled from his belt, readily carved the soil away from the edges and pried the coffin lid up to reveal her, unsullied by the days of rot that followed burial. Well, that's just about it from us here on the Porch Swing. Thanks so much for listening. And it would really help our podcast to grow if you were to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Um, Makes us feel good. We do love to see the comments, too. It sure does. And, you know, comments and your questions, it would be great on Facebook. So please, please, please leave us comments. Leave us questions so we can, you know, it really fuels our podcast here. So... And we will see you next week on the porch swing. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.